0: Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness Podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Laurie, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. to the stateside madness podcast i'm Lori,
1: and i'm paulie and today we're going to bring you a very special episode this is episode 28 and it's a tribute to prince buster we're going to get into that a little bit later but as is our like we're going to start out with the communicator Okay, so first up on the communicator we got a uh, communication short while ago a listener in holland andre claus writes you start the show by saying it's for americans i'm from holland and i love it too wouldn't it be better to say for madness fans all around the globe you know, making it a little bit more all inclusive. And Lauren and I have talked about that and uh, I suppose we could start doing that and it's because it's right. It is in fact, listened to by folks all around the globe which we're thankful for. And, uh, you know, I suppose it's because maybe when we started this whole thing like Stateside Madness, the fan service, um, you know, we, we presume maybe it would only be Americans that would be paying any sort of attention to us. So so good on you, Andre, you pointed out something uh, pretty important. And I think we are gonna start doing that.
0: Okay, so the big news this week, Lee Scratch Perry has passed away. So he was a legendary dub and reggae innovator. He's died at the age of 85 while staying at the Noel Holmes Hospital in the Jamaican town of Lucia. A cause of death has yet to be disclosed. And obviously this is sending ripples throughout the uh, madness community. Chrissy Boy wrote on Twitter, Lee Scratch Perry, lightning bolt heart, multiple musical notes. Thank you for the music and inspiration. I bought the vampire in 1969, pensive face.
1: Lewis Alfonso from Bad Madness will be joining us for um, parts of this episode as well. And at the news of Lee Scratch Perry's passing, he had a little story he also wanted to pass along. So let's take a listen.
2: Uh, of course, he's, to me, the, the, the greatest two uh, Jamaican artists uh, were himself and Lee Perry. And in fact, apparently, he saved Lee Perry's life very early before, um, before either of them had started recording. He saved uh, Lee, Lee Perry's life. So even before he'd started making music, He'd given <laughs> reggae its greatest uh, star by by um, because he, he was a boxer, wasn't he? And he, uh, his first job was looking after Coxon's sound system, and uh, Lee Perry was working on uh, as a as a kind of uh, as sound assist, sound engineer and uh, and assistant DJ. And he got into some trouble and went. Um, and, uh, uh, Buster used his pugilistic skills to get him out of that trouble and saved Jamaica from not having me buried.
0: Other news, MIS has announced that Madness will make an appearance at the homecoming concert for the Team Great Britain Paralympians at Wembley Arena on September 12th. Very nice of them to do. Congratulations to all the Paralympians.
1: And up next on The Communicator, it would appear that The Madness and Mad Not Mad are both going to be re-released on 180-gram vinyl. And it looks like those are going to land on October 29th.
0: I was particularly surprised to see The Madness is being released because uh, that's kind of the hard one that nobody can ever find. So maybe it's starting to finally get its due. I wonder if we're going to start to see soon the missing CD, because you know how with the madness CD collection, they all have letters on the spine, M-A-D-N-E-S. And there's like a missing one where, um, where the madness would have been. So I wonder if that's going to be the next step. I'm just speculating, but that would be awesome if it was.
1: That it would. And also uh, sad news affecting the madness fan community. Uh, We've just heard that Nick Chesner Chesney has passed away unexpectedly. Now, um, I don't know Nick aside from uh, just seeing him posting um, at different madness related fan websites. But, you know, it's it's sad nonetheless, uh, to know that there's another member of the community that has left us. So all the best to his family and friends. And just know that Us folks on the other side of the pond are thinking about you. Be well.
0: Yeah, Nick and I used to be Facebook friends, and uh, he was a very good guy. So, um, my condolences to his family, and and to the Madness community. I mean, he was really well known in the Madness community. So that's a that's a sad sad loss. Earthquake, child, earthquake, shaking
3: Orange Street. This music with a beat. Uh. Uh. Ah. Cha. Lego. Lego. You know, not you're tired. And you want to pop. Look at your face, look like one of them old GOS boss. You're not hearing your spear and your front wheel puncture, You see, Orange Street is the music street. And that's the street that sells the beat. So when you see me come, don't run. Cause I'm just about to have some fun. Man, let me help you in something you don't know right now. See ya. The prince comes out car and streets
0: And the beat street. To Today's episode is a tribute to Prince Buster as we approach the fifth anniversary of his death this coming September 8th. now, Prince Buster was extremely influential on our boys. Their first single was actually a tribute to him, The Prince. A number of their songs from their very early days were actually Prince Buster covers. So we thought it would be important to acknowledge this five year anniversary. So in this episode, we'll do the traditional things like throwing a few facts out there and talk about his songs but given how key he was to Jamaican music and his influence on the British ska scene, he seemed too important for just the standard retrospective.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's true. And that's also why we thought it'd be good to reach out to a few people either connected with or influenced by Prince Buster. But uh, we'll hear from those folks a little bit later in the episode.
0: Okay, so who was Prince Buster? Well, he was born May 24th, 1938 in Kingston, Jamaica. His birth name was Cecil Bustamenta Campbell. The middle name Bustamenta being a tribute to William Alexander Clark Bustamenta, Jamaica's first post-independence prime minister. While living with his grandmother, she bestowed the nickname Busta on him, which he would then change to Buster for use in his stage name. The prince got his first taste of musical performance, singing in church choirs and during his school years where he performed with the Frankie Lyman's song and dance troupe
3: Come on and let
1: me That was just a little bit of the song, Little Honey. We're gonna talk about that in just a minute. Now in the 1950s, there was nothing bigger on the Jamaican cultural scene than the sound system. We've talked about that a little bit before in the past on some previous episodes. Sound system was local DJs traveling from venue to venue and pretty much their job is just putting out the hits. There was no bigger sound system than Tom the Great Sebastian whom Prince Buster credits with introducing him to the American R&B and the New Orleans sound that would seed Prince Buster's and Scott's musical family tree. Also around this time, Prince Buster would be introduced to Clemente Coxon Dodd. Now, Coxon was a guy with a lot of irons in the fire, not uncommon in the economically unstable Jamaica. People just did what it took to make money. Coxon was connected, motivated, and become a mentor to Prince Buster. I could go on, but I know someone with some insider knowledge on Coxon, Prince Buster, and the Roots of Ska. Let's welcome Sultan Ali, the son of Prince Buster.
4: Thanks for having me. First, I must greet you with a skalam and a to all my friends and families around the world. The Buster legacy continues. Again, Ska, thanks for having me. Like he said in the song, if you listen to the song Earthquake, when he was teasing Coxon, he said, my father was born May 24, 1938, a place called Victoria Jubilee, Lion Hill. And that was about less than half a quarter block, I should say, because Jamaica streets are so small, like England, like, like the States, the blocks are wide. And if you walk across North Street, you go back to 145 and a half Orange Street. After he left the maternity ward, that's where my father resided, 145 and a half half Orange Street. So you always figured that that street was his kingdom. And Jew, Creed and Cox, and then he came from there. It was from the rural part. Buster was born in the urban, inner city of West Kingston. But before that, he had uh, three record stores at the rear at Luke Lane on Charles Street, right across from the great Tom, the great Sebastian, which are very very is a very, very important man in the career and the life of Prince Buster. He was one who introduced Prince Buster to a whole bunch of rhythm and blues because he was a part of the sound system, Tom the Great Sebastian sound system. So the music that Tom the Great Sebastian was playing was very, very influential. He knew it was rhythm and blues. But then Buster tried to get out, a visa to go to the stage to buy out. Record like Cox and could to stay ahead of the old game. And he was denied. And he said, uh, Buster, your hands are too soft to cut sugar cane. And he was turned down. So necessity is the mother of invention. So he had to go to a man called John Bagel, played in the weekend in the supper club and he became the master drummer. If you listen to the song, Ten Commandments, the intro, that's the great drum beggar, Artland Parks. And he decides to listen, I'm trying to get to the States but I'm being turned down, we got to create something Jamaican. Because he always had this national view, this pride. You see, the, this patriotic zeal he had. And not just about money. So because of him, Jamaica has a sound. Because Cox and Drew they were copying the rhythm and blues. They were making money, rhythm and blues. And the saying, the cliche goes, if it don't break, don't fix it.
1: So, Sultan, tough question. What's your favorite Prince Buster song?
4: Well, wow. Great, great question. Great question. I love all of them. All of them is my favorite. But the one that's more endearing to my heart, the one that's most touching, if I could find the adjective or the superlative to describe it, would definitely be beyond to shut up a doubt would be Danny, Dane and Lorraine. And I love that song, the chord structure, the melody. And we've got, my father had the great, one of the greatest alto player playing on its solo. The Jamaican Charlie Parker, the great Lester Sterling from the Scatalites playing that solo. Charlie Organier, another legend playing that harmonica.
0: came to prominence in the early 1960s producing for small acts and recording his own music mostly on the UK label Bluebeat. His first release being Little Honey which we heard a little earlier. It was recorded in 1961 as Buster's Group featuring himself, Ja Jerry, Drumbago, and Rico Rodriguez. By 1962 Prince Buster would mostly record under his own name though often with a host of Jamaican heavy hitters. In the first five years of the decade, he would amass dozens of singles and release albums at a rate greater than one per year. This period would produce many classics, such as Al Capone, 10 Commandments of Man, One Step Beyond, and this one, Madness.
3: It madness 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 we call it madness it's plain you see that is what they mean to me madness Madness
1: All right, Lori, so we just listened to Madness. Now, that's one you're kind of familiar with. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, as Madness fans know, that's the song that they took their name from. It's interesting to me. I'd actually never heard the original version before. And it's definitely a a little bit slower, I think, than than the version that we're accustomed to.
1: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, And the arrangement um, is different. And we just might hear a little bit about that later um moving on with the prince buster story so the last half of the 1960s saw prince buster continue to pump out great music though gradually his style shifted some might say only slightly from the thumping ska stylings to the slower sensual rock steady beat this period produced the hits judge dread ghost dance take it easy and these two wine and grind and rough rider So we just listen to Wine and Grind and Rough Rider. Now people will notice that those are the two songs covered by the English beat, and they had hits with them and good on them because they're fantastic songs.
0: So by this time in the late 60s, Prince Buster had become familiar with Muhammad Ali and had converted to Islam. I think we should go back to Prince Buster's son, Sultan Ali, and let him explain.
4: My father was always conscious, trying to understand the plight of his people. Why are we at the bottom? Why are we economically, socially, and politically void? There are a lot of questions. And when you got questions, you gotta find solutions. Because they tell you, go to school, work hard, get your good ed- education, but at the end result, economically, socially, and politically, you're not there, something is wrong. So by his quest of searching, finding himself, trying to make a livelihood, knowing about Marcus and all these great teachers and everything, it evolved him. He was into the boxing thing. He, would be, he was also a pugilist, he used to bodyguard uh, and protect coxswain, coxswain from Jew Creed and everything. So he visited England back in the early 60s uh, with uh, Mr. Derek Morgan, which was his counterpart, nemesis, if you will. And after rehearsal, uh, so meet with Bluebeet, Mr. Shalit, they were walking around and they, was, they just bump into the training session where Muhammad Ali at that time was in, in the UK. My father looked just like Ali, he's just like he's about maybe six or seven inches shorter. I mean, it's like a law of attraction because what Ali was doing in America, Prince Buster was doing in Jamaica. So they, they struck up a friendship. My father was also a boxer and everything. And then he was like a law of attraction and he was impressed. Both of them was impressed with each other. Then he invited him. To me, the teacher, I know Elijah Mohammed. And like I said, the rest was history. I know I wear the name Ali.
1: Also in the latter half of the 1960s, is when we find a lot of our familiar friends coming of age, listening to the radio and discovering ska. Let's let them speak about first hearing Prince Buster.
5: Thank you.
6: 1964. I was like eight, which is when Al Capone came out. But I don't know. It may, maybe in England, it probably came out, and I don't know when it was a hit in England. I have to look that up. It may have been when I was ten or eleven. But I remember that, you know, and it was quite interesting song, you know. Um, yeah, at the time, yeah, and that kind of music. Yeah, because we had in England, we had sort of ska and reggae. You know, it was it was around quite a lot. But that was kind of different. Um, and he also remember the Ten Commandments. But that was about it, you know, that was about it. Um, until, you know, many years later, madness started. And, and I think it was Suggs. Suggs and Lee really liked Prince Buster. And we learned madness. And, and then the B side of, one step of, sorry, of um, is it Al Capone? He's one step beyond. And, you know, as we know, he did that because it was kind of nobody had heard of that song. Um, so yeah, I mean that was, you know, and he was like yeah, yeah, in the sort of eighties, you know, when we started, or well, 79, I went and bought some of his records. I really like them, you know. I really like the fabulous greatest hits one ghost dance all song, songs yeah really good i
2: must have been seven or eight years old and i heard um like most english people i heard this weird sound on the radio and i thought what the hell is that <laughs> and, uh, but it was so different from everything else on, on the i think it was on my mother's blue radio that i heard it i can't remember what kind of uh, and it just sounded something which something is just, just completely utterly different from everything i'd ever heard the uh the one step beyond song is just a fantastic piece of ronald alfonso saxophone which is very beautiful and just to finish on that ronald himself when i asked him who wrote that because it's written it's like it's written down as um as Campbell, you know, it's written down as Cecil Campbell, but um, I asked him and and he said, oh, I don't know, and and, and I said, well, you wrote it, didn't you? And and he he said, oh, you know, it wouldn't have been famous, like Roland Alphonse is the nicest guy you would ever, 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 ever meet. He said, well, it probably wouldn't have been famous without Prince Buster doing that, just saying those three words. <laughs> so I like that. That's yeah, I'll, I'll go back to one step beyond. I think the 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 that, that's uh, the one I like the most.
3: One step beyond. <laughs>
1: in that last segment we just heard from fan of the show and madness guitarist chrissy boy we also heard from Louis alfonso he is of course the guitarist from bad manners
0: right and so of course madness fans are going to recognize that last song that we played one step beyond and you can really see how ska began to become integrated into uk culture at least as far as the youth were concerned now this is perhaps the crux of what we're talking about today. Prince Buster and why his work resonated so much with our favorite groups from our youth like Madness and the others from the Two-Tone Ska era. As such, a lot of our guests have a lot to say about it. Let's start with Stephen Schaefer, who's the author of the blog and book, The Duff Guide to Ska.
7: So it was probably uh, you know, just a, like a year or two later um, you know, funnily, funnily enough, my uh, my younger brother was actually um, always a, definitely more ahead of the curve on, you know, with all kinds of music than I was. So it may even been that he had picked up like a, a sampler, um, you know, of, of, you know, older Jamaican music, and I probably heard it off of that. Um, and, and I think I became much more... Um, so it was interesting. So I was exposed, you know, to you know the two stuff, two-tone stuff really sort of just after two-tone, you know, was over. Um, but you know, the beat were still you know, English beat were still popular here in the US and sort of there was still interest, interest in that. And even that sort of was like going back and like, you know, figuring out everything and oh, the selector and the, you know, all these great bands.
2: That's a that's an interesting question. I guess for, I can't I can't answer for ever, all of the the youth, but for for me, for my friends, it was it was not something you could hear on the radio. Not even you, you on the on the radio you could hear like pop, you know, and great, great things like T Rex and so on, and you could hear like on radio on the late night shows on or Radio Caroline you could hear things like Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and stuff like that which is a kind of a little bit more risque if you like but you couldn't really hear it on the radio um it was very very rare there, there were I mentioned that I did hear that Prince Buster with um, Al Capone and One Step Beyond was on the um was a hit single in England and so you heard it on Radio One but I think there were about five or six of them Scar singles, which which were famous, and uh, it was it was really underground. You know, you could hear Velvet Underground, you could hear them on John Peel's show or something like that, but you couldn't hear it. John Peel didn't play Scar. You know, it was, it was something that you could only hear if you had a friend who had records, or if you went down to the club or something like that. It was really really underground, and it was very very exciting and something completely different, which you wouldn't have uh, heard elsewhere that your parents really didn't like it <laughs> they really didn't <laughs> my parents like jazz and all that kind of thing and i was trying to convince them that roland alfonso is the, the greatest jazz player since um, uh, stan getz you know and uh, but they they weren't having it i still think that is actually true well
1: so Ro- roland is no doubt a huge influence on you too
2: yeah, I take uh, it so that's where I took my 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 my, <laughs> my stage name from. Yeah, I was lucky to play with him later on uh, um, on stage and uh, meet him and talk to him and like this. So. And he's very relevant to the Prince Buster story. He played, he, you know, one step beyond, and uh, um, Al Capone. That was that was him. You know, it was uh, probably more his compositions than than Buster's.
6: I don't know. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, a lot of those. Records are sort of regular, you know, they were just good. They're good, you know, they had some kind of good tune, good rhythm. You know, and they were quite interesting, obviously, because some of them were sung in such an accent you didn't quite know what what they were saying, you know. You know, so if you had some black friends, they might explain, <laughs> you know. Sometimes it's just the accent, but then sometimes it's kind of like slang words, you know. Um, the uptown top ranking. it's got kind of a lot of slang-type things. You know, wind up my waist. It's like, yeah, women in my council flats told me, Agnes, you know, it's a way of dancing, suggestively. But, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of like um, a part of everything, you know, part of British culture. You know, a lot of Jamaican people in England and... um, Yeah, the music kind of came with them, I suppose, you know. It probably is Ghost Dance, you know. Something about, you know, it's got a really good little rhythm, nice little solo. Yeah, that's my favourite song, Ghost Dance.
3: Ghost Dance. Day. Hoping you are keeping the best of felt How is the music down there in Boneyard? I hear that Buzz give of a sound system, and that Naya Keith is this Jackie. But them can't get no red stripe beer for selling a dance at night. Tell Zaki, the high priest, who used to lead the toughest.
0: So we just heard from Stephen Schaefer. Louis Alfonso and Chrissy Boy Foreman, and that was the song Ghost Dance by Prince Buster. Now, time rolls on, and The Prince continues to produce, record, tour, even appear in a few TV shows, documentaries, and movies, most notably as a DJ in Jimmy Cliff's The Harder They Come. His recording schedule slows down, and by 1973, he's effectively Retired from music and living in Miami, but by the end of the '70s, his music has taken hold across the pond, and his influence was showing on our favorite bands.
1: That's right, and we've got a few folks ready to give us some insight into just how that happened. Leading off again is Stephen Schaefer.
7: Um, you know, you had you know large groups of of people from Pakistan and India come to England. Um, you know, from South Asia. And then you had a you know, huge number of people came in from Jamaica. That generation of people that, that moved from Jamaica to England in the 50s called the Windrush generation. And that was named after one of the steam liners that would bring people um, from Jamaica to England. You know, so you had that first generation of people who um, you know, moved into you know, the working class neighborhoods so you had the Jamaican working class people next, right in next door to the, the white English uh, working class people. And then you had their kids grew up together um, and went to the same schools and hung out in the same neighborhoods. Um, and of course, the Jamaicans brought, you know, their culture with them and their music with them. And, you know, when uh, ska music started and, you know, when, when it evolved into rocksteady and into reggae, um, you know, obviously all that music came in too and it, and it not only was appreciated by the Jamaicans who had uh, immigrated to England, but, you know, it seeped out. It seeped out into the, the greater, broader neighborhood. And since it was, in most places, it was integrated and it was much more common, you know, in the, in the 60s in England for people to grow up um, in very, you know, racially integrated neighborhoods there than it was here. I mean, it was star contrast. So you had the two tone generation of musicians grew up listening to all of that, you know, to, to all that music. And particularly in the late, you know, late 60s, early 70s, you had all those amazing skinhead reggae.
2: The first song we played was Scar, and we played, uh, we were playing Scar not a long time before the other bands, but. 76 we started playing. I think they I think Madness and Special started 78, yeah, 79, you know. But they were they were known before we were. The selector and the specials knew each other, you know, and they had yeah. connected connections through Coventry. But yes, it was a it was a kind of thing that was going on all over uh, all over Britain, the beat as well, you know, in Birmingham. And it's it's funny, I've always wondered about that. Why was it London? Coventry, Birmingham; those are the places where the bands uh, came from. Nowhere else. You know, usually, Manchester and Liverpool. There's a big uh, movement there, but I guess it's just um, maybe there's a big uh, something to do with the the number the West Indian community in those uh, in those cities. A lot of uh, us came because we went to school with a lot of uh, you know a lot of West Indians in our schools, so and we heard the, the music there. And um, yeah, uh, that's where where we started playing it uh, with uh, with our friends at school. You know? So I guess that was the same for the specials and for um, uh, the beat in, in Birmingham. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you have to make it happen as well, you know. And that's um, that's the hats off to Jerry Dammers and the the, um, the who started the two tone movement. And they had previously been. British reggae with Steel Pulse and uh, Black Slate, and uh, Black Slate went to our school. But uh, that actually had the mixed race uh, music kind of thing. That was really a, a very big uh, piece of work, which was done by uh, by Jerry Dammers and Pauline Black from The Specials and, and the selector. It didn't. Things don't happen just. Just like that you know there are other movements which probably didn't happen <laughs> but you have to have somebody actually uh, to go and uh, make it happen. Personally uh, as I said I'm a very very big uh, Prince, Prince Buster fan and I always was. I think his uh, style of delivery of the English language is something which um, I tried to impress on um, Basta, our uh, Basta, you know, Basta blood vessel. Probably no coincidence that his name is that, is that either. The way that he speaks English as a kind of uh, West Indian kind of uh, way, way of speaking it, but I think he was one of the first people to um, actually use the his own real dialect. When I worked with uh, Prince Basta, I found that he. He wasn't a very impressive character, but the thing which impressed me about him was that when he spoke, it was like listening to his records. the Prince Buster you hear is himself. That's that's his his real accent. And previous to that in um, uh, West Indian music, there was a kind of a West Indian way or or kind of even an Anglicized way of speaking, but he was the first one to really use that, uh, that kind of accent. That's what he gave to um, to all of the, um, not just ska to reggae, is to sing or to, to to speak vocals in your own voice, and that's what he that, that's what he really did. I, I find it actually kind of. Almost Shakespearean the way he speaks. <laughs> you know, I love the way he pronounces words and uh, the, the rhythmical way that he he, he, he he sings.
7: One of the songs that was most meaningful to me and partially because it's, it's such a spectacular song, uh, Seven Wonders of the World. The instrumental that is this sort of like very Middle Eastern sounding Far East minor key uh, song. <laughs>
0: 90s, Prince Buster was already out of retirement and recording and performing again. Some of our guests were lucky enough to perform with Prince Buster and, of course, in the case of Sultan Ali, grew up with him.
4: Because, see, we grew up in western Kingston. I was born 28 Rose later. And like I said, we come from humble beginnings, okay? And my, my father aspired coming from western, Kingston. again, he questioned things. He saw the economical, social, and political divide and he questioned things. And that taught him to let's listen. You gotta venture for yourself. You gotta go in business for yourself. You got to own your destiny. You got a right to self-determination, you know? And he started uh, working with uh, Duke Creed, producing songs. Matter of fact, one of the first 13 songs he did for Duke Creed included Let George Do It with the great Lester Sterling and Rico Rodriguez. A lot of people credited it credited to Drumbega, but it's not, I'm not, not sorry, not Drumbega, to Don Drummond, it's not Don Drummond, it's Rico Rodriguez, Shake a Leg with uh, Derek Morgan, Eric Montemaris, uh, Money Can By Life. He produced the first 13 songs, because what he was really doing, he was trying to teach and show Drew Creed and Coxon that we should create something that was Jamaican. By my walking around, going to school every day, my friends, when they found out who I was, I mean, there was always an awe. I had a group of friends around me, Boss says your father. So I know from a very, very, very early age that my father was something special in Kingston. And I can recall going to the bank, Barclays Bank back in the day to make a lodgement. And if we walk from the shop on Orange Street down to King Street, I mean, it took us forever. Why? Because every like four, four, five, six feet, there's somebody trying to garner his attention would that be the simple man on the street okay the bus driver the man on the bike the cab driver the cane cart man every time he walks somebody trying to get his attention prince boop judge Dredd, odd man for that you see and by be walking from the from the <laughs> from the shop the store, to the bank it took us forever because everybody wanted a piece of him everybody wanted it to garner his attention so from a very early age I knew that he was something he was something special.
6: You know, during the two turn time, you know, he was sort of an, an enigma. You know, like a lot of the other guys came to England and he didn't. Um, you know, to, to kind of, you know, he could have really capitalized on it. But I think he had a jukebox business in Miami. And um, I did, I met him um, God, I met him in Rock Rockin' Blues this guy called Gaz Mail, who was really, you know, he was quite a, a good musician, Gaz, you know, and he's, he's a really good scar. And um, I met him and I just said, you know, did you get all the royalties? <laughs> Obviously, because, you know, you wonder where they went, you know, and, and he did, you know, it was really cool. And he, he gave me his phone number on a cigarette packet, <laughs> uh, which I've got somewhere, you know, sort of treasured. Thing, you know, and then, but you know, I um, we did um, God blimey, I don't know if it was Finsbury Park. And we got him on stage with us, and we did Madness, you know. And he kind of, you now we did it slightly different to the way to his arrangement, you know. So so he kind of told us off, <coughs> you know. And um, the, we, the next night we did it, you know. Yeah, this is because of the sax solo, do you know what I mean? And he went to sing, and we're and, but yeah, you know he,
2: he's really sort of cool guy, you know. Okay, it's very simple. <laughs> I did one concert and um, one album, um, but the the, the the they were both uh, incredible um, uh, events for me. The concert was at the George Roby the George Roby in London, and I think it was one of the first, if not the first, uh, concerts of his comeback. From um, from Jamaica, Juanita. and um, I did this with a group, uh, uh, Big Five, which is Nick Welsh's group, uh, King Hammond, known uh, known as, um, and we played that concert. It was the most exciting concert in my entire life. I can remember doing the the intro to uh, to Gangsters, ding 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 ding. Not against this, sorry, Capone, <laughs> <Al-Gabon. laughs> and just just the, just the excitement was unbelievable. Dave's like Prince Prince is back, and I'm like standing next to him. Uh, so we did that concert, and we also um recorded an album which has no name because it has never been um, never been released, and it doesn't have the the group doesn't have a name. The group was myself, uh, Nick Welsh um King Hammond that is uh Perry Melius, and Rico Rodriguez on on trombone at the time we had been playing in all together in bad manners we were playing every night you know we were really 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 tight and our idea was to become a kind of house band like Motown or like Stax or something like that you know to have a have a band and, and play with or uh, support different uh, musicians and so we we made this album with Prince Buster. It was brilliant, and um, you know, Buster he took the the, the 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 tape as it was uh, away with him and back to um, back to Florida, and you have never heard any of it ever ever since. It was absolutely superb piece of music, which maybe nobody will ever hear. <laughs> but, yeah.
1: last two songs were, of course, Too Hot and Orange Street, Prince Buster classics, and famous to UK Sky fans due to the specials having covered them. Now, throughout the podcast, we've tried to pop in a few songs here and there, all the ones you know and love, but there's still a few more to get to. One in particular, I feel needs a little more than just a nod, and it just happens to be my favorite Prince Buster song. It's Judge Dredd. Now think back to 1967 and what popular music looked like and sounded like at relatively the same time the Beatles would be recording *Sgt. Peppers and Prince Buster would be recording Judge Dredd. Both would use the device of stepping out of their personal identities to assume a fictional role or roles in the case of the Beatles. Now neither was the first one to do this, but perhaps this was the first time in both circumstances where it was used to such great effect. In creating the Judge Dredd role, and by extension, the Barrister Pardon role, the Prince was able to make a play literally, as well as commentary on the draconian Jamaican judicial system, which at that point was doling out extreme punishment as a way to rein in the literal rude boys, discontented youth, cast aside due to the ever-declining economy. Let's take a listen to Judge Dredd.
3: Order. now my court is in session. Will you please stand? First, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Judge Hundred Years. Some people call me Judge Dredd. Now, I am from Ethiopia. Try hard, you rude boys for shooting black people. In my court, on the beat top because I'm Bex, and I am the rude boy today. Who gun case.
1: So, Laurie, we're getting a little close to the end of the podcast, and we've really talked, or rather, maybe our guests have talked, you know, about Prince Buster, his importance, his resonating with British youth, his influence on the ska scene to come. Um, You know, and, and, and this is also a little bit of an introduction for you to Prince Buster. So, why don't you tell me what your thoughts are?
0: Yeah, no, a lot of this is very new to me. Obviously, he was very much a part of the, the UK music scene, not so much over here in the United States. And uh, so it's very interesting to me to kind of see this, this commonality, this musical thread where the inspiration came from for madness, right? And, you know, hearing Buster, he sold the heat, right? And, and now to kind of have a perspective, who is that? You know who who are they talking about and then of course you know to hear some of the original uh tunes that they've covered and it's just it's fascinating to me you know so this is this is an area that i'm really not too familiar with uh, what are your thoughts i know you're more immersed in this uh musical culture than i am
1: well um and i, and I think stephen Schaefer hit on this in some of his comments but So I didn't come by being a Prince Buster fan that easily. I was, of course, originally a fan of UK ska and, you know, absorbed that, listened to it, appreciated it. And in time, um, you know, as one would, you want to ask the question, well, how did these guys get started? Uh, What was important to them? And of course, you know, the, the song, The Prince, name dropping, uh, Prince Buster and so many of his songs you know it makes me and I'm supposing you know many other people very um very curious in wanting to learn about Prince Buster and I did and I listened to Prince Buster and you know maybe put it away for a little while it was later on in life when um, I had the resources to really dig up a lot of Prince Buster's music that it really kind of clicked with me at a certain point Um, and able to see oh my god here's the beam that's the original that's the originator that is you know what was picked up by everybody else it gave me a whole new appreciation for and I'd say you know probably for the past 15 years really is when I've really gotten heavy into ska and um, started to you know pursue it a little bit more from a educational standpoint really trying to familiarize myself with it and having done that yeah, i'm a full-fledged fan i really am
0: and of course five years ago we lost prince buster he suffered a series of strokes over the preceding years and he was in poor health for a while so the prince finally succumbed to his illnesses on september 8th 2016 we thought it would be nice if our guests offered some final words to prince buster
1: if the Prince were here right now, what would you say to him?
7: If I were able to speak to the Prince, um, I, you know, I would, I would just want to thank him for you know, sharing his music with us and, you know, try to, con- to convey to him, you know, how incredibly meaningful it is. And I'm sure he knows this to some degree, but how incredibly meaningful it is to, to people all around the world and, um, you know, having many people He's He's the greatest, I mean, just the absolute greatest. I'd just say, you know, us. thanks for your music and it's been
6: inspiration, you know, for me and many others.
2: he uh, was here with us today? Um, yeah, I would say, we haven't caught up with you yet. <laughs> <laughs> we have not caught up with you yet
4: <laughs> we, we're getting there we're gonna get, we're getting there love you i am grateful and I, i'm blessed because i didn't choose my father and likewise my father didn't choose me he was a divine orchestration from the most high from the universal power that's unseen but it's here it's called the guide the unseen force and power so the universal order meant for principles to assess the camera moment used about it to be my father and for me to be his son and both of us had no saying that so there's a master orchestrator so to speak so I'm grateful and I'm thankful peace be unto you Stella.
1: That's just about it for our episode We want to Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed hearing a little bit about Prince Buster.
0: Coming up in two weeks, we have another interview. Louis Vaz. So he is a very talented pianist and composer. He worked with Mark Bedford in Butterfield Eight. He worked with Lee and Chris in Crunch. And of course, the Lee Thompson Scott Orchestra. He has some really cool stories to tell. So we hope you'll tune in for that in two weeks. So we thought it would be appropriate to close with Madness's original single, The Prince, and we're going to let Chrissy Boy introduce it. And on that note, it's a goodbye from me.
1: And that's a goodbye from me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness, for the Prince.
6: Of course, the Prince, Yeah. Her first single was a tribute to Prince Buster. It was written by Lee. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, rips off that song, Earthquake. Earthquake, uh, you know, it's sort of like similar. And Lee, yeah, he kind of did this sax solo and we're like, oh, wow, Tomo, you know. And then we realised he kind of nicked it off. (laughs) Prince Buster's song, but you know, you have to find out what one that is. Something to do with
1: Texas. Buster,
7: he sold the heat
1: With a rock steady beat
3: An earthquake is erupting But not in our Street A ghost dance is preparing you got to help us with your feet If you're not in the mood to dance Step back, grab yourself a seat. This may not be uptown Jamaica, but we promise you a treat. Bust a on me over with your bogus dance, shuffle me off my